Hey there, it's Todd Yuri, founder of the Pharmacy Podcast Network. What an exciting time it was at the HLTH 2022 event in Las Vegas. We had so much interaction and interest in Babson Diagnostics, the straightforward incubated business that would improve that customer experience in diagnostic blood testing without sacrificing the accuracy or cost of what it is to draw your blood. So simplistic, you have to look up this organization. The HLTH 2022 Pharmacy Podcast event and coverage was brought to you and sponsored by Babson Diagnostics. We want to applaud the Babson team for being so forward thinking in embedding and in reimagining blood testing in pharmacy, in community pharmacies, in our national pharmacies. It's going to revolutionize blood testing. It's coming to you, to a pharmacy near you. Be on the lookout. Thank you for listening to the Pharmacy Podcast. Look up Babson blood testing at babsondx.com. Once again, that's babsondx.com. Please reach out to us at Pharmacy Podcast. We uh, appreciate everything you do. Pharmacist, you are our most favorite providers, and we hope you enjoy this two-part series. Thank you. You're listening to the Pharmacy Podcast Network. Over the past five years, the HLTH event has become the most preeminent gathering in the healthcare industry. The Pharmacy Podcast Network was a proud press and media partner for the 2022 event. Listen into these incredible people transforming healthcare. To learn more about the HLTH event, go to hlth.com. Three quarters, 75% of college students who access virtual mental health and well being interventions reported mental health improvement, including 100% of students who presented as potential suicide risk, according to an anomalized outcomes data reported by Timely MD the leading health and well-being provider in higher education. This is an exciting opportunity because I get an opportunity at HLTH 2022 to talk with several people about different facets of health care and being able to put them together almost like a jigsaw puzzle. Bob, welcome to the HLTH Post Show. Um, I want to learn and have our listeners learn more about Timely and Deep. So thank you for doing this. Thanks for having me, Todd. So Timely MD, talk to us about what is Timely MD, and then I want to shift back into mental health because that's been one of the biggest subjects for behavioral health pharmacists, mental health pharmacists, and I want to understand more about that. Timely MD is the leading health and well-being solution for higher education students. Uh, We started in 2018 as a primarily telehealth solution for students. Uh, About a year into that, we realized there's an unmet need around mental health. And going into the pandemic, uh, we were growing fast, uh, but we really accelerated and took off. 
fast forward uh, into the current state that we're in now, I don't know if I would call it post-pandemic, but we're certainly um, uh, getting a little distance from it. Uh, now 80% of all of our visits are mental health. Um, we serve a wide range of college students. Uh, we have about 1.5 million students across nearly 250 universities, and that's everything from uh, elite schools. We have half of the top 25 U.S. News and World Report schools um, down to uh, rural community colleges. Uh, community colleges make up about 500,000 uh, of our students. Uh, our mission is to see students be well and thrive, and we help connect them to care uh, in a way that is simple, it's seamless, it's zero cost to them, and it's been incredibly uh, successful, and, and students love it. I think of the old adage or the old expression that's practicing what you're preaching. And what better way to care for our future healthcare providers than going to pharmacy schools and medical schools and assuring that their mental health is being addressed and taken care of during one of the most stressful times in their lives as they're being pulled away from their communities and their families to go to school, the freshmen, the P1, the P2, and so forth, and even the resident level um, you know, school and the, and the intensity of what that is. Can you give us some examples, our listeners, some of the examples of what Timely MD is actually doing to execute better care for our students? So the first thing that Timely MD does is we improve access to care. So if you think about uh, our current mental health ecosystem, uh, if you have a mental health crisis, which can be a wide range of things, it could be everything from uh, roommate conflict, you're exacerbated because your roommate ate your cereal for the fifth time in a row, um, all the way up to much, much more serious uh, things. Um, we help connect students in a timely manner. So if you look out in the community, you could be waiting anywhere between four to 10 weeks to get an appointment. Our average time to connect a student to a mental health provider is four minutes. Time matters for students. Um, if you ask students how they're doing and what's going on right now, nine out of 10 will tell you there's a full mental health crisis on campuses. And the number one reason that students leave and abandon their goals on, on their education is for mental health. So it's incredibly important that we connect with students right away. Um, I gave you some statistics. I think the stories matter as well, too. Uh, one of the most uh, heartbreaking stories for us of the fall semester uh, was taking care of a student who had had a suicide attempt weeks before they showed up on campus. That really compounds um, the level of impact that the mental health crisis has had. Uh, the American Psychological Association tells us that around 75% of students are showing up with a mental health diagnosis already. So we can't afford to wait on access to students. Um, from the medical side, uh, average time for one of our students to collect, to connect with a physician is less than 10 minutes. Um, so it's that access to care that is so critical. 
once they get care, they're actually meeting with somebody who's there because they want to work with college students. It's an incredibly attractive value proposition uh, for the provider as well to come work with us because they know that when they're taking care of uh, a college student, they're having a legacy impact in someone's life at a very formative time. And so that really helps us draw people who are very mission-driven uh, to work for a very mission-driven company who want to come in and not just treat an acute phase care, um, provide a few acute phase care to a student, but they actually want to impact the student around their whole wellness journey. So we don't just treat acute care, right? We actually provide education as well for students about how to take care of themselves. So what I think about, Bob, is orientation. And I think of the brand new student coming to their campus and they have to leave um, their, uh, their parent of some sort or both parents and probably some tears involved in the stress level that's there. Then they get into orientation. Where does Timely MD fit in order to introduce the student to the service that's being provided? You know, what's the, what's the kind of the timing of Timely? Sure. So we partner with schools, including giving them full, robust marketing toolkits to make sure that students know they have this access to care. Uh, that's critical. It, it's one thing to have a service. It's another to have a service that you're actually promoting, that you're actually telling students at that orientation. Um, it's, it's really fun for us when we actually run into people out in the community uh, and hear their stories. And one of my favorite ones from a couple of months ago was running into a parent. And when I described what we did, she said, oh my gosh, I heard about timely care uh, for my daughter at orientation. I'm so excited. And, and that's, that's really encouraging to us, right? Because we're not just taking care of the student. It shows you that we have an impact on everybody who touches that student's life. And it's, it's fun to even hear from parents about that impact level. So now I have to bend everything else because I'm a pharmacy fanboy back to the pharmacist. And I think of accessibility to pharmacist care on campus as well. But the merging and the mixture of the psychological mental health and the pharmacists themselves. Has Timely MD done any kind of collaborations with pharmacists at the campus level in order to assure that it's a total patient care if in fact the, the I say patient, but it's the student that had come to campus maybe with an existing prescription of some sort that ties back to mental health? So the closest thing to the integration that you're talking about is the way that we leverage our care coordinators and helping to make sure that we're not just providing a student with a prescription or with guidance uh, for over-the-counter uh, you know, medications or treatments they may need. We're actually partnering them with care coordinators who are working to, with students to make sure they have access. Primarily, this is uh, on the retail side, as, as you might imagine. Um, so we're certainly interested in more and more opportunities because I think we have to layer in every piece within the ecosystem that we possibly can to make sure that no patient and no student for us in this encounter slips through any of the cracks. So I'm going to personally introduce, probably through this podcast, because it's easy for me just to email out to the deans of Duquesne University, of Pittsburgh School of Pharmacy, and of WVU, all schools that are 
literally within an hour of my studio and who I work probably closer with with any of the other uh, schools of pharmacy. About 140 schools of pharmacy throughout the uh, nation. So I think there's an interconnection here that we do some of these introductions for students that I personally care about because they're my future listeners. Well, I think that's really key. We would love the introduction because this is one of the areas we've really grown in, right? As you look at um, graduate and postgraduate training, that's an incredibly stressful time. And I know that both of us can probably think of anecdotes um, of stories of people that we trained and studied with uh, who were unable to finish uh, because of the level of stress. And I think that's a really important aspect to highlight is that mental health is for the resilient. Um, I've been incredibly impressed uh, with the level of strength that you see in this generation. And you look at what they've experienced over the last few years, and that tells you that you've got a group of people who are already resilient. You don't, you don't get to training to become a pharmacist without having some delayed gratification built in, right? You don't get to that point where your audience is without having those strong uh, st study skills, that ambition. And so the resiliency is already there. It's here for us to foster it and unlock it. And that's what Timely MD does. As we come alongside students, wherever they are, and we give them that little nudge, that bit of help that they may need to help achieve their goals, and that's incredibly rewarding for us. Dr. Bob Booth, it's been a pleasure to interview you here at HLTH 2022. I want to invite you back to the Pharmacy Podcast Network to talk with um, to talk with pharmacists that are in mental health specifically and how we can merge our initiatives to get this information out to more schools of pharmacy, but also uh, schools throughout the, throughout the nation. Thank you. I'd love to come back. Hey, we are here, HLTH 2022, with Mike Moss with Iris Telehealth. Would you tell us a little bit about Iris, uh, Mike, and what you guys are doing? Why are you here at, at H HLTH? Yeah, absolutely. So Iris Telehealth is a medical group that is 100% focused on telepsychiatry. We have 350 plus providers that are either psychiatrists, psychiatric mental health nurse practitioners, or licensed clinical social workers. And our work is around therapy, and taking care of serious mental illness. We partner with community mental health centers, federally qualified health centers, CCBHCs, as well as hospitals and health systems with the entire goal of improving access to um, psychiatric care. Um, we, we have three different kind of products and services that we provide, uh, whether it's a scheduled services where you need a provider full-time, we're gonna put a provider in there for a long-term contract. We're not a locum tenum group, so we're gonna we're gonna put somebody in there, they'll come and do your tele, they'll do it all through tele the whole time. And then we also have an, a pod of providers that are on demand for 24 seven, 365 in the emergency department or the med surge consult liaison. And we're there because one in eight patients that shows up in the ED needs to see a psychiatrist. So we're there to take care of uh, those patients um, whenever you need them. And the other one is, is uh, the innovative part of our business, which is exciting. 
where it's a, really a bridge clinic, a bridge care, where we can take on a surge of patients that maybe have come into your health system or can't get into see a psychiatrist, or you need help with discharge patients, you're, you're struggling with the seven and 30 day follow up, or you have a specific cohort of patients you're trying to figure out how to get, how to get your arms around and because population health is coming um, and it is here. So we do all those innovative things with our par client partners today. And um, we appreciate uh, you having us today. Thank you. So what I'm interested in hearing more about is the concept of bringing healthcare services to the patient rather than expecting the patient to find the right provider for their condition. And in the world of mental health and behavioral health, which has expanded tremendously, you know, you and I are relatively in that same age group. We're Xers, you know, Generation Xers guys. And I know that when I was 10, 16, 22 years old, mental health wasn't even talked about. I mean, today it's part of healthcare. It's on, now there's like hashtags, you know, mental health is healthcare. I mean, it, it really is. The component of it that's fascinating to me is that if you have a specific condition, a schizophrenia or some with multiple personality disorder or something happening, your organization can bring a specialist who understands that specific condition. Can you talk to us more about that speciality that you guys bring to the table? Yeah, so you're, you're tapping on something that's really fascinating to me and that's, um, I heard the stat this morning, I've quoted it twice now, but half of Americans will need to see some sort of psychiatric care in their lifetime but only one in four will actually seek treatment. So you're right, that one in four that are seeking treatment still can't get care. There's not enough providers out there to provide them for us. So that's where we have partnered with, again, those organizations I talked about. And within those, we put a specific type of psychiatrist into, like not every psychiatrist is the same. Some are child and adolescent, some are geriatric. Um, there are others that want to do just their emergency department work because they like to stabilize the patient and move on. Others want to build a long-term relationship. So that's, that's our special sauce is making sure we can be attractive for those types of providers and we can align them with the opportunities. Um, and I think that's what makes us different. Um, so how do we get the right schizophrenic doctor to the right um, patient at the right time? We've got to be aligned with our partner because that they're the ones that are gonna see it and we've gotta make sure they have access to that care. Um, I think about it best in the pod where when we're doing that intake of patients, they're going through therapy and they see a patient that really is at much higher risk or in a crisis situation, they can escalate immediately to our assigned nurse practitioner or doctor that's on staff at that time. So that, that's where I think is the best opportunity for us around that bridge, bridge care. When I'm thinking of how telehealth has advanced and even though the pandemic was an absolute horrible experience that we all went through, um, it brought out some fruit and the fruit was the, the fact that virtual is now accepted. And I, I have an imagination and I see a patient in front of the webcam who is securely speaking to one of your psychiatrists and then the psychiatrist says, hey, now it's time to bring in and I'll give you an example. The lovely Dr. Monica Krishnan, who's part of the Pharmacy Podcast Network, who's known as the mental health pharmacist. And you bring uh, Monica in, and now she says to the patient, talk to me about how you felt on, I don't know, Zyprexa, 
and how things have happened over the last six weeks or eight weeks. Like, and then the patient kind of gives the one through 10 analogy of how they're feeling and what are they feeling like in the morning when metabolism's different of what they're feeling at nighttime? Or what are they, what are they feeling when they're, when they're exercising and they're bringing in more oxygen compared to you know, playing video games and not really moving around? So having a pharmacist involved in psychiatric care and understanding metabolism, understanding pharmacogenomics, understanding um, you know, different types of medication and comorbids uh, conditions where you now have some other medication that may have nothing to do with uh, mental health but has everything to do with how your body is reacting to medications. Talk to me about that side of like your business where you could really start adding in because it's all virtual other providers to really give better patient care to our to the people that need it. Yeah, you're tapping is one of the reasons I love to come to Iris Telehealth was because of that care team, the population health field that it has. But you are, I am way outside over my skis when you're talking about pharmacogenomics. I need to get Dr. Tom Milam, our chief medical officer, on with you. He's it would be, it'd be a wonderful time. He's not here today, but let's make sure we link him up because that would be wonderful for him to take. I never appreciated how much a psychiatrist is so good at balancing the med management stuff. I didn't appreciate that beforehand because I have, luckily, knock on wood, have not had this need within my family. Um, but I have seen it with my mother-in-law who suffered from dementia. She needed a psychiatrist and, and balancing the medications was a major challenge in getting her stabilized so she could return to care. So uh, let's get Dr. Tom Milan to answer that question, Todd. Absolutely. I, I, every single one of the podcasts that have been brought to us by the one and only Grace Benton, um, a shout out to Grace. I know you're listening to these. Um, has been amazing because it's setting the dominoes up for us to be able to do further interviews to really expand how pharmacists are involved because I'm a biased guy. I'm a, I'm a pharmacist fanboy, so I can't help it that I'm bringing pharmacists and everything. But psychiatric, mental health, behavioral health, you would not believe how many pharmacists now have interest in really becoming the army um, the special ops of psychiatrists, where the psychiatrist is the quarterback and the pharmacist is taking the care team play and ball to the finish line because there's this, there's this collaborative approach to medicine now and virtual technologies like Iris that's setting the stage to bring all of these people together from one person in Sacramento, another person in Pittsburgh, the patients in Austin, Texas, like that is so valuable. And today it's accepted because we went through, like I said, this terrible pandemic. Yeah, it, the pandemic let the toothpaste out of the tube and you can't put it back in. Thank goodness, because we have an opportunity to go and approach those half of Americans that are gonna need psychiatric care and hopefully expand it, not from one in four, but two in four, actually seek care. And let's, let's make it okay to go see someone to get help. But I look forward to doing more, uh, more of these podcasts with you or having Irish Telehealth do them with you. Thank you for the invitation. Thank you for being here. Thanks for being with HLTH 2022. Um, this is the post show. This conference is dynamic. I love being here. Let's just shift gears and talk about the conference for a second. What other conferences have you been at that has the same vibe and feel that HLTH has? I'm not cool enough to be here. I mean, this is a cool conference. It is. I've been at HEMS because um, I was at Athena Health before this. I was at NatCon last year, so that's a, that's a community-based um, organization. That's got a neat vibe, but everyone's really focused on patient care. This is 
technology-based. This is partnering. This is a lot of startup companies, and you're and you're wondering, what special thing do they have? What special sauce do they have? How do we partner with the right person? So instead of always thinking you have to build it together, it gets right into the classic MBA of build, buyer, partner. My partnering mind is running rampant, trying to figure out who we could potentially partner with. Who's the right one that can bring something that we can't get to that will help our, pa our, our patients of our partners? Mike, thank you for doing this. Thanks for being part of the post show. Um, thanks for giving us the time to really describe what Iris is doing. I am definitely going to be in your email box to set up our next interview. Great. Thank you very much, Tom. HLTH 2022 post show. Thank you so much, pharmacists and pharmacy owners, for listening to the show. This has been an exciting conference. We are here with David LaRoe from Medicomp Systems. David, welcome to the show. Uh, thank you, Todd. It's great to be here. So tell us what Medicomp Systems does and um, why did you invest in coming to HLTH? Uh, thank you, Todd. Uh, Medicomp, for the last 44 years, we started in 1978, has been building a diagnostic clinical relevancy engine. And what that means is we work with docs. We have about 1.2 million uh, person hours invested in this, saying when you're thinking about a, this condition, be it diabetes, congestive heart failure, what are the symptoms, history, physical exam, test diagnosis, therapies that you're thinking about, that you want to know about, that you want to follow, that you want to track, and particularly particularly appropriate to what we're talking about here is what are the key clinical indicators of that diagnosis and whether it's under control, whether the patient actually has it, whether they have clinical sequela, complications from it, etc. So we provide a middleware engine that sits inside of other people's products for documentation and for viewing of data that's diagnostically connected to the problem. So when I hear you say this overview of Medicomp and your systems and your technology, I immediately think of the rare disease states that are thirsty for data as the patient goes along on therapy. Has Medicomp systems ever worked with pharmaceutical manufacturers in rare disease states and the health systems that are kind of kicking off these therapies and these treatments? Uh, not, not specifically. Our focus up until very recently has been for the 98 to 99 percent of cases that are, that are put in front of a provider, can we quickly give them access to all the data they need? Now, recently we've been working with NORD, the National Organization of Rare Diseases, to extend our diagnostic indices into those areas. We now have done about 650 of them, uh, many of which we've had to go down to the genetic abnormality level and say, what is the phenotype? How does this express in the person physically, which is where uh, there is really exciting work being done in uh, pharmaceuticals to address very specific changes, but our focus really is more on the entire population. But once you have the entire population coming and you can do that, the rare disease stages stick out if you index them properly inside the knowledge base. So I think of the world of efficacy and the ability for one patient based on their genes to break down medications as, it, as intended by the manufacturer. Uh, the study of that is, you know, pharmacogenomics. And I think of um, massive amounts of data to really tell the truth 
or tell the mapping or the blueprint of where treatment needs to go. Talk to us about the world of kind of that precision medicine world of, of how your systems are helping to bolt those, um, those data points together. Sure, if, if you look in our disease index, uh, one of the things we pride ourselves on is given a diagnosis, can I click on it and see the relevant information? Now, for many conditions, the hallmark indicators of whether a therapy is working is in a lab result. Okay. I'm in the Babson booth with you. I was just talking to the people here and they're doing capillary fingertip stuff. Now, with all the investment taking place by CVS, by Walgreens, by Amazon in primary care and in telemedicine, the fact is going to, it's only going to increase that the need for uh, pharmacy therapeutics is one of the most common touch points in medicine now. So while the person, people see their pharmacist or interact with their pharmacy more often than they do their provider. So if you can, if you are tracking a disease state and one of the key indicators of that is the blood level of a certain hormone or the blood level, uh, some sort of uh, abnormality in hemoglobin, think about how powerful it is to say, somebody's on this medication, let's see if it's working. Take a capillary uh, sample and you can tell almost immediately. Or if, if you get an abnormal lab result that you can't attribute to a disease, is it being caused as a side effect of a medication or a clinically adverse event? So tying all that together with pharmacy information, laboratory information, and the infrastructures that being, are being put in place to manage people in their home, it's a pretty exciting time to get better data to everybody involved in the care team focused on the problem that this patient specifically has. That's fascinating, absolutely correct. I think of clinical trials, I think of artificial intelligence, I think of the, the, the coupling of all of this, but that there isn't an entity to kind of bring it all together. It gets lost based on everybody staying in their own uh, vertical and, and not talking. So it, it sounds like you're pulling it together and making it usable and accessible and executable. Uh, that's exactly what we're trying to do. We're, we're trying to say that with a single click or a single voice command, a provider, I don't care if the provider is telemedicine, home care, a physician, uh, a family member, can they see all the information they need that's relevant to this disease state and then can they switch to another one? Because lots of people have three or four comorbidities. You can't look at them all at once, you can look at them together and then in isolation, but you need to be able to see the specific clinical markers very quickly for each of them, individually or in concert, because they interact. So, uh, a lot of talk in here. Uh, the thing that's going on in this hall is everybody's talking about, we need more data, we need better data, and oh yeah, we better be able to do something with it when we get it. And we call that the data tsunami, the flood. There's actually a painting of the data flood uh, here in the hallway uh, toward the back of it. And I walked up, I said, oh yeah, there's the problem. Once, once you get it, what are you going to do with it? So, uh, and the medications that a patient is on is one of the key indicators of what diseases the care team thinks they have. So uh, having this information all being able to pull together, deduplicate it, do it in one place, uh, is going to be very powerful. And 
that's, this conference is focused on that more than any that I've seen, that I've ever been to. I agree that HLTH is definitely doing it differently, and um, I'd like to see our pharmacy conferences start to kind of adopt to some of this meshing, especially the patient forward-facing attributes of, of what is healthcare, and they have it here at, at HLTH. So thank you so much for being part of our post show. Um, we're excited to understand more about Medicomp in the future. If there's ever any examples that you can bring to our listeners about how you've leveraged uh, the technology um, we'd love to hear more about this. Okay, we'll do that. We're actually rolling out a project at Holy Name Medical Center in Teaneck, New Jersey. They're taking a community-based approach where everybody in the community is a person, and that person has different roles, and it's going to be very important for, say, the nurse at, at a school to know what medications each child is on so that if anything happens with that child, they can respond and say, it might be a reaction to the medication rather than a new condition we didn't know about. So having that community-based care with full access to that data, particularly the medication data, it's going to help everybody. David LaRoe, thank you so much for being part of our post-show. We, uh, we appreciate you. You know, Pharmacogenomics fascinated me when I learned that a medication that is prescribed, especially like a, especially like something in um, in mental health medications, could be changed based on the outcome and based on the metabolization um, and the way that we now say personalized medicine and precision medicine. Bioformis is literally doing this, and I have the opportunity to talk with JDev Tucker here about um, exactly this. So I want to hear more about Bioformis as we're here together at HLTH 2022. JDev, thank you so much for being here. Todd, thank you for having us. It's an exciting time. You see the shift in the technology, shift in the oral care model, and in COVID certainly accelerated some of the shift in care shifting to patients' home. Bioformis certainly is privileged to be right in that junction and in helping some of the shifting of the care itself, as well as we have a big presence in partnership with pharma companies and thinking about how the drug of the decade from now will be leveraging some of this digital companion solution. So excited to be here. So the customization of a medication and today the status quo may be, hey, we got to keep this patient on this medication for a specific amount of time in order to see how they're reacting to it. The concepts of what you shared with me before we started uh, recording was you may actually be able to accelerate that so that you don't have to go through the standard period of time in order to react to the patient's reaction to the medications much faster. So talk to our pharmacists and share with our pharmacists what Bioformis is doing today. Certainly, Todd. That's a great question. If you think about Today, the tools, or maybe I'll say 10 years back, the tools available to a pharma company in the clinical drug development process were very limited. You're bringing in a large set of patients, you're monitoring them as best as you can by a two, three, maybe four times a month visit. And even that, patients are not able to come through. And with that limited data point, ultimately drug gets approved with finite set of doses. And you're trying to pick the man in the middle, like the middle dose that works the most, that's the dose that might not be, and, and it's very well known, 
most effective for every patient. But with the tools available, that's the science that was supporting it. Fast forward, we, we live in the world now with sensors and wearables on your wrist. And then some of the sensors are providing high quality medical grade data that can be relied upon. Many of the sensor companies have taken the trouble of getting 510K clearances that PowerFormis is working with. So what we are starting to see is, with this amount of data available, you can start to look at the effect of the drug, the safety or the efficacy signal in the clinical trial with much smaller population, much earlier and much quickly. Which means now, you do have the luxury of starting to titrate or time the drug dose that is best suitable for an individual patient. And that would mean that gone are the days where once a prescription is written, patient is picking up or one dose is being picked up and usually a physician nowadays will start with lowest dose with an expectation they'll be able to stay in touch with the patient. Patient comes back and reports, how are they doing? Is there any adverse event observed? Is the drug's effectiveness sufficient enough? And if not, let's jump to the next dose. There's no calibration in between. And this is what we are seeing already shifting, that number of clinical trial, number of drugs where we are working with pharma company in coming up with that personalized dose. Of course, there is the second question coming up now, that once these drugs are approved, with such personalization, an algorithm, and a sensor that goes along, pharma's role typically has stayed with, once the prescription is written, they're looking for a pharmacy and the rest of the ecosystem to pick up and manage the patient. And this is where we are starting to think through that some of the assistive algorithm that will look at the individual's physiology data or their genomics data and, and titrate the drug dose, that will be likely your work that will come to your pharmacist to help manage. Physicians are still fairly tied up with the next patient that they need to diagnose and get them on the right drug. So adjusting the right medication down to the individual dose and the timing is where we see a significant shift coming and probably a pharmacist will play a very big role in support with an AI and machine learning tool that will guide them. I think of barriers to accelerating such a technology or an ability and one of the barriers is the world of the patent and that is you have a specific metabolic makeup of a medication or a drug that has molecular, probably fingerprints to it. So what, what's the, how would Bioformers kind of get around the world of the patent in being able to show that this metabolical makeup could, instead of being four type of doses, could be 300 type of doses? Yeah, that's a great question. And again, I'll, I'll preface with saying we are, we are learning a lot and this is still uh, things to be figured out. Uh, what we've noted is while not all molecule drugs are capable of titrating, and there are some that the science doesn't support it, but there are a number of drugs where you could titrate and the drug has a varying effect both from a safety profile as well as the efficacy profile. For these drugs is where there is the biggest opportunity that if you can measure the individual's physiology, you can titrate the drug dose. The molecule itself is where the patent is and where the IP is from the uh, drug company's lens perspective. So the titration itself really becomes a supportive tool. Uh, there are times when we see pharma company ask if we can build an algorithm to diagnose the side effect of a drug, an adverse event, would that side effect algorithm now be pharma's IP or not? And again, I think uh, uh, there's more to be learned there. There are some pharma companies that would see the bigger picture, that if that adverse event detection algorithm 
is not owned by pharma company, but rather owned by a third party or a consortium, it can be more trusted and it could be more effectively leveraged. So they will retain the patent on the drug and the molecule itself, but the supportive tools like leveraging a digital algorithm to titrate the drug dose or to detect an adverse event and come up with next best action that a pharmacist needs to take. Most of those actions are over-the-counter drugs or the drugs that are already available in the market. The pharma company just needs to open up and let those algorithm be widely available and not really own the IP of it. And in, we've been very successful in helping pharma companies realize that, that uh, either biopharmists can own it and broadly make it available, or we pick a consortium and let them own some of those AI algorithms as the IP ownership. J-Dub, this is fascinating. I'd like to have you back and really dig into some rare diseases, rare disease states where we see biopharmists needed more than ever, especially with some biosimilars that are actually up and coming. Um, because of their similarities to um, what is uh, raw and data versus what could become um, the next drug of the future based on that disease state need. So thank you so much for your time today. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Dr. Lyle Berkowitz with Key Care. Welcome to the Pharmacy Podcast Network. Thanks, Todd. Glad to be here. So I wanted to start right off, and that is, you know, we have listeners in different facets of pharmacy. We have community and specialty and our health system. I kind of want to jump on the health system pharmacist right now. I'm thinking I'm a health system pharmacist, and I get out, I get an outreach to a, to a, from a, um, a health system 40 miles away from me, and they say to me, how would you like to come work with us? We have a platform and technology where you can do analysis and follow-up and um, in drug um, outcomes based on our relationship with a health system and a hospital system that's using Epic technology. And this sounds like science fiction, but you're making that a reality. Tell us about your, your company and what you're doing with Epic. Well, we're focused on groups that are, are doing virtual care. What we are doing is helping um, virtual care groups um, work on our instance of Epic and therefore make them available to every other health system who's using Epic. So if you have a niche telehealth company that may be doing maternal care or dietitians or um, you know, CHF, um, uh, we're able to set you up on a full stack EMR, um, but because we're on Epic, uh, you'll be able to access patient's data um, from across the Epic ecosystem, and as you write and complete your note, that will go back to the initial um, health system who referred patients to you. So it really allows you to connect uh, very easily between health systems and a variety of virtual care groups that are offering services um, that the health system patients may need. You know, the um, pandemic that, that we've gotten through we lost a lot of people. It was a horrible um, uh, time, something that we've never experienced in our lifetime, a pandemic at the size that it was. There was good that came out of the pandemic. And the way that concepts were being um, pushed aside or barriers to patient care that were put on back burners, it actually accelerated the virtual care model because you had to be virtual. 
including the way that our uh, patients have now accepted telehealth and talking to a screen and a physician or a pharmacist that's on the other side of a, of a webcam. So did this pandemic situation help to accelerate the concepts that you've brought to the table uh, for providers? Yeah, 100%. The, they're clearly, uh, you know, we advanced about at least 10 plus years in the virtual care space. There are three big barriers that we were always dealing with. One was technological, do we have the technology set up? Two was reimbursement, you know, will people pay for it? And three was cultural. Um, you know, will patients accept it? Will physicians do it? And we had to, we had to do all those. And what we found is very quickly, the technical barriers were very light. Um, the reimbursement barriers were easy to do once the uh, payers were willing to, to pay for it. And the cultural barriers went away overnight once everyone realized we had to do it. Um, and the hardest part is how much we'll be able to maintain that. But bottom line is, as they say, the, um, the, um, the genie is out of the bottle, the, you know, the, the dam is, is opened, et cetera. Patient demand is high. However, physician supply is low. Doctors, uh, I believe, are in the health systems are often officeologists. They are very comfortable and want to get back to working in the office. They are accustomed to it. Uh, they're most efficient there. They're optimized to it. But patient demand now is, is there. It's ready. And so health systems need to be able to meet that patient demand um, while knowing that their office doctors are full as well. And that's where we would come in and provide that additional supply. But by doing it on uh, uh, our instance of Epic, uh, two health systems who have Epic, we're able to really meet the need for a seamless experience where data is shared, which becomes really important uh, as health providers, pharmacists know, to make the best decisions. Uh, you need to have all the data available to you. So I'm a health system uh, pharmacist uh, that's in the administration side. I'm listening to the interview right now. You've piqued my interest. Um, what are the steps that we take to assess? Is this going to work? Number one, we have to be using Epic as our EHR system, um, although you are expanding um, to uh, you know, other EHRs. But what's the, what's the candidacy for if this, if this works for me in, in my health system? Wait. Um what we find is the usual first step is in urgent care. Um, and so looking at, you know, what do you do for urgent care now? Do you work with a third party vendor? If so, you may find that we offer a better, cheaper, faster way to take care of patients as a, a true partner on a unified system. Uh, if you do try and do it all yourself, you have to question, is that the best and highest use of my doctors and my executive team? Um, we are, as a health system, and I come out of 20 years at uh, health systems, uh, we should be focusing on the most complex, difficult things. As a patient, I want my health system focusing on how do I take care of cancer and heart disease and the most complex patients. Um, I'd like and need to get some convenient care stuff done as well, but I don't want my brain power of my health system focusing all their time on that when they've got bigger things to worry about. So who's focusing on that now? Is it available? Does my health system uh, offer urgent care 24 by 7 across 50 states um, to take care of? If not, what if we could use a partner? If we're going to use a partner, let's make sure we're using a partner that's as symbiotic with us as possible. 
Dr. Lyle Berkowitz, I appreciate the time that you've spent with us as well as educating our pharmacists listening in that weren't able to attend HLTH 2022. We look forward to hearing more about key care and um, bringing maybe a couple um, health system pharmacists to the table to talk with you on, on these concepts. Uh, great, and we're also getting some outreach from um, uh, independent pharmacists as well, because um, they have this uh, interesting need, right, if patients can come into pharmacies and have a need for a prescription, uh, and the question is if they're going to refer them to a virtual urgent care process, can they refer them to a health system that works with them? Can they refer them to you know, key care knowing and trusting that because we're on uh, the EMR that's most widely used by other health systems, that that all the data is going to be shared uh, and the quality is going to be as good as it can be. So uh, we, we believe there's a lot of synergy in the future. So I appreciate the time. Thank you, Kyle. I appreciate you.